Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority, presented by Labatt Blue. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 102, and it's a very special episode as our guest is a legendary NHL coach, legendary Red Wing coach, Scotty Bowman, joins us as we reflect upon the life of Ted Lindsay, perhaps the greatest left wing to ever play uh, in the NHL. And before we welcome in Scotty, I want to remind everyone that Labatt Blue is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's always time for hockey and it's always time for Labatt Blue. Remember, those limited edition Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue Light Detroit Red Wing cans are still available. Get them while they're cold. And as always, please drink. Labatt Blue Premium Beer, responsibly. Our guest on episode 102 of the Red and White Authority really needs no introduction. Um, it's a legendary coach, NHL, Hall of Famer, nine Stanley Cups, uh, you name it. He's virtually done it all in the NHL. And, of course, uh, I like to say a Red Wings legend, too. And uh, that is Scotty Bowman, who's joining us today to talk uh, a little bit and reflect upon the uh, the life and career of Ted Lindsay. Scotty, thanks uh, for being on the Red and White Authority. Always appreciate your time. Yeah, good to be on, Art. Uh, I guess where I really would want to start is, like, when you were growing up in Montreal, was that when you first became aware of Ted? Was it as a player when his great Red Wing teams were going against those great Canadian teams? Yeah, that would be, uh, I just had finished uh, playing junior hockey in, uh, actually in 1951 and I got to be starting to coach uh, kids hockey and of course as everyone knows back uh, if you went through the decade of the 50s except for one cup by Toronto in 1951 uh, Detroit and Montreal dominated the entire decade and uh, they would they would play each other 14 times seven times the Red Wings would come to, to uh, Montreal and and oddly enough uh, you know that was in their heyday so I, I would look forward to, to seeing all their games I, I'm <laughs> excuse me I'm sure that I saw uh, all seven times that they would come in into uh, Montreal, and if you if you looked at the record of the teams, uh, if one if one played the other, usually in the either the semifinal or the final, a lot of the series went even to seven games. It was <laughs> it was so close. I mean, uh, Gordie Howe and and uh, the Rocket Richard were two two premier players, but. You know the, the the Red Wings had the the, the uh, production line. It started with Sid Abel, and then it graduated after he retired. And there was a, a brief time with Dutch Rival, and then Alex Dovecchio. And Montreal, you know, they had the punch line, and then Bellavo came in, and, and he was uh, he was an awesome player. But Ted Lindsay was uh, the consummate pro, playing on that uh, production line for probably uh, ten years. You know. Right, yeah, I, I, you know, he, he wasn't big in stature. Certainly, they say five foot eight, one hundred sixty-three pounds. Uh, but uh, Scotty, if you could try to give, because so many of our young fans, when we say original six these days, it's more yeah. a term. And even though I'm, I'm getting up there in years myself. When I became a hockey fan, the next six had joined. So I remember it more as a 12-team league when I was a little boy as opposed to an original six. Can you kind of paint a picture of what original six hockey was like? Well, I mean, you, you know, you played, you usually played, uh, uh, you know, five opponents. 
tournaments and you, you know you got 14 times to make 70 games so <laughs> and they would they would always play uh the red wings were a sunday night team uh generally uh, it was their whole, premier home home night montreal was the saturday night team same as uh Toronto, they were both, they were the two Saturday night teams, and and then, of course, uh, New York, Boston, uh, Chicago, Detroit, their, their, their games were, Sunday was their big, big night, and uh, Montreal, I think, would also play on, on uh, some Thursday nights, because they had an alternate night, but mm-hmm. a lot of times they would play, Detroit might play in Montreal on a Saturday night, and they'd have to take the train either to New York or Boston or even go back to Detroit to play their their doubleheaders. So the, they always played doubleheaders, Saturday and Sunday. That was pretty well standard for all the teams. Uh, and they didn't play on many different nights. Uh, as I recall, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, I think that was probably what it was limited to unless the rink was not available. But arenas were much more uh, accessible. There wasn't there wasn't as much activity in in the uh, hockey arenas, and and the teams would practice in in their main building most of the time. So it's a different era, train travel. Uh, so the both teams would often get on the same the same uh, train, but different, uh, of course, different sleepers, uh, <laughs> sleeping car accommodation, and uh, they were rivals. Uh, you read a lot of, I'm sure, what Ted was saying. Uh, in fact. Uh, I heard a story about Ted is that uh, he played junior hockey in uh, Toronto with St. Mike's, and one of his teammates was a, a fellow a defenseman named Gus Mortson, who grew up in Kirkland Lake, and uh, they were they were uh, <coughs> excuse me they were on you know different NHL teams after they graduated in junior, both born in 1925. And and when the hockey season was on, uh, Ted Ted, if they were if they were coming in contact with each other, he would he would walk across the uh, other side of the street. They didn't want to even talk. <laughs> and uh, of course, in the, in the summer, they lived in a small little town. So that that was the rivalry. Uh, it, it's it's amazing now when I when I watch television and I see commercials. I was watching a game last night. Uh, 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 Toronto was playing, and they had a a bank commercial, and they had Austin Matthews, the, the future star of the uh, Maple Leafs, and P.K. Subban doing a commercial together. Well, that would never happen in the 50s. Uh, the rivalry. Uh, I, I talked to Ted uh, quite a bit, uh, and he had, he had mentioned, like, you know, uh, and I also talked to Alex Delvecchio at the Red Kelly thing, and he, he, was, he was talking about um, the uh, personality of Ted and also the personality of the Rocket Richard, and he said, "No, no, nobody would be as, as fierce a competitor as those two. In fact, he he, he mentioned it to me that uh, Ted Ted had no no friends on the other teams. Uh, he said, I don't know how he and Doug Harvey ever got together, uh, <laughs> which which really happened, as you know. Uh, the story is that." Both Ted Lindsay of Detroit and Doug Harvey of Montreal were the premier uh, people that started uh, helping the, the other players to, to form the um, Players Association as it is today. When you look at uh, uh, back then, as you said, they played uh, 14 times each, seven and seven, home and home. Uh, I was, I'm kind of curious that 
uh, in a way, and, and I've read so much about it, and, and I think you know that uh, you know my second favorite franchise behind the Red Wings is, is the Canadians, and uh, uh, just you know their brand and their style of hockey. I'm kind of curious, and you know, and I, hopefully I'm not reaching here, but do you believe that Ted's competitiveness? In a strange way, and the Rocket was one of the greatest players of all time, not nullified him, but maybe having Ted Lindsay on the Red Wings was a really good uh, combatant for the Rocket, maybe to, if you could, if you could even do this, try and throw him off his game. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was um, teams had three lines in those days. It was only... I think they dressed uh, they dressed five defensemen. The fifth defenseman didn't play much, mm-hmm. and they dressed they dressed ten forwards, uh, nine or ten. Uh, they because they they only had smaller rosters. And uh, actually, uh, the the Rocket was a right winger. He was a left hand shot. One of the few players that shot differently and played uh, on the opposite wing. And and uh, they didn't play a lot against each other because uh, when when um, Detroit played Montreal. Uh, Detroit had a, a terrific uh, second, or would be called a second line, but it was a, it was their it was their go-to checking line. It was Glenn Scove at center, Marty Pavlich, who's still alive, and uh, I think he's around 92 now. Mm-hmm. But M- Marty was the left winger, and Tony Leswick was the right winger, wow. and and uh, so Mar- Marty Pavlich would play a lot more against the. It was, they very seldom played uh, the the big lines. Uh, you know, it was just like sort of matching lines. Uh, Toe Blake would be coaching, or Dick Irvin in Montreal, and they they had a checking line as well. It was it was uh, I remember them like it was yesterday. Mosdell, McKay, and Curry. They played against uh, the the the, the Howe, Lindsay, and Abel line, and and then the Pavlich, Scove, and Leswick line played against the Richard line so uh, they didn't have a lot of matchups but there was sometimes where they would you know get up against each other and of course when they did Ted Lindsay played left wing and the rocket was right wing and that was uh, that, that that did happen occasionally but uh, uh, Ted Ted was a tough player uh, like he he was not big um, um, but he in fact even later on after uh, when, uh, when he retired he was. He would always tell players of his stature, uh, "Look, make sure when somebody comes near you that you get protection." And he he, he used that stick to protect himself. He didn't use it uh, very viciously, but uh, when players went to check Ted Lindsay, they would run into his stick a lot. But he was a two-way player, and uh, I mean, I I remember the plays that he and uh, Gordy made together. They were just like. Uh, it, it was hard to believe how they would play so long together and and have uh, the chemistry that they did. And, and they were so good defensively, uh, they could have played against uh, the, the best lines in the league, but the other teams always tried to uh, to check them, you know. And uh, 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 I, I once asked Ted, I said, Ted, how did, how did you ever become a member, uh, like, of the Red Wings? And he he said it was really odd in those days. There was no no sponsored teams, no draft, no entry draft. But uh, I think it was on your 16th birthday, you were eligible to be put on. And each team in the league, the six teams, they had uh, two negotiation list spots. And what you'd do is you'd, you'd put a player on the negotiation list, 
and then you'd offer them. There was three different forms. There, they were really like a, uh, two of them were like a contract. Really, it was an A, a form, a B form, and a C form. And the the trick was that when teams would put so and so on the negotiation list, they would want to get him signed to one of these forms because they wanted to leave that spot open to to acquire another player when he turned on his birthday. But Ted Ted came down from Kirkland Lake. Uh, you know, his father was a, was an NHL player, and he sent him down to Toronto. St. Mike's was a very pre- prestigious uh, Catholic uh, uh, school, high school, and and a very strong uh, hockey program. And but the first year that Ted came down, he was eligible to be put on on anybody's list, but he got injured. He told mm-hmm. me he only played one or two games, and I and I didn't play the rest of the season. So nobody nobody would put me on the list when they hadn't seen me play. But the next season, he became uh, in training camp. He was playing in a, a, a preseason game. He said for the school in, in Hamilton, Ontario, not far from Toronto, and a, a famous Red Wing scout by the name of Carson Cooper, who was one that signed most of their young players, like Gordy Howe and Terry Sawchuk, all those players. He, he spotted Ted and waited for him after a, a, a preseason game, and he said, he, "This man in the." a trench coat, very small guy, came up to me and said, would you ever want to play for the Detroit Red Wings? And Ted said, I sure would. And he told me later, it was odd, because when, when Ted lived in Kirkland Lake, the uh, Red Wings uh, had a, a station, a, a very powerful uh, radio station. I, I, I don't know, would it be, what was it called, WJR maybe? Yeah, I mean, it, could, it could have been WJR. They've always been the uh, 50,000 watt clear channel. Yeah. So he said, I grew up listening to Detroit Red Wings, and when you're a young boy, and you know, you know television, of course, right. he said, you know, you get attached. And that, that is true, because I grew up in Montreal, and my, my father would get the Boston Bruins games. And I, 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 when I, I was like six or seven, I started to listen to the Boston Bruins, and that became my team. So Ted, Ted said Detroit was always his team, and then all of a sudden they asked him, would you like to play for the Red Wings? And, of course, he said, I sure would. They put him on the negotiation list, and uh, I guess they did the same the same kind of format for Red Kelly because Red played. That was Toronto St. Mike's. I would say ninety percent of the players that played Toronto St. Mike's became Maple Leaf players. Toronto Maple Leafs. So that's how Ted became uh, a Detroit uh, player, and and then uh, of course later on, after Ted went to Chicago. Uh, uh, in a in a, a very controversial trade. Oh yeah, right. Detroit were were really I don't know. They were all the teams were were not. We're trying to stop the players, the union for the association from forming. So Ted went to Chicago. He didn't really like it. Uh, he helped a lot. Uh, he just missed winning the cup in '61. He retired that year, and he retired for four years. Came back. I remember it like it was yesterday. And Montreal was still a, a pretty powerful team. He came back in the 1964 season, and uh, I think he scored 15 goals, and and they they finished first. And but he was 39 years old when the season ended, and very few players played. At, oh, I would say once they hit 32, 33, they were retired. <clears throat> they couldn't, they, you know, they, right. the league. Uh, there were so many players coming up. So Ted Ted uh, was a veteran player, and uh, the Red Wings had some young players coming up, so they didn't. They, they 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 couldn't protect them in the uh, in the uh, interleague draft. They had a draft of, of extra players. So he, 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 what the the Red Wings tried to do, they decided he wanted to play another year. Mm-hmm. So Ted 
Ted and Sid got together, he was the manager, Sid Abel, by that time, and he said, well, let's sign retirement papers, and then and then you come out of retirement again. Well, he signed the papers, and, and the league, uh, Stafford Smythe, who ran the Maple Leafs, Oh no! He said, "This is not right. You can't do that." Because he, he could, he could, he could see that he was going to come back. So he, the league changed the rule, or made a rule that if you were coming off the retirement list, you had to go through waivers. And Ted said, "Uh, uh-uh, I'll never play for Toronto." So, <laughs> so he would have, he would have played a second year after after he made his comeback, but he he didn't want to. He said, "I'll never play for Toronto." So. He, he, you know, he was pretty firm in his beliefs. That's the kind of man he was. Right, yeah, no, certainly. I, I, I never heard that. You know, it's funny, when you were talking about uh, before there was an NHL draft or an amateur draft when it, when it first began, I remember Paul Henderson telling me a story that he was actually on his way to a camp with the New York Rangers, and I guess the Red Wings were holding, I believe it was in Hamilton, were holding their own kind of camp, and he thought he would get a skate in, and so he joined the Red Wings in that they wouldn't let him leave till he signed a contract. So yeah. it was really, which I guess infuriated the Rangers, but that's how it was back then, I guess. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah. It, the, it wasn't as, the scouting was not as intense as it is now, and there was a lot of players. In fact, uh, uh, Montreal had a good player that, that made the Hall of Fame, uh, Dickie Moore, mm-hmm. and he, he had a very similar situation, Toronto was going to put him on their negotiation list after watching him play a junior game, and, and uh, they, Montreal had got tipped off that Toronto was going to do it. I don't know how it happened, but they put him on before. And when a player turned on a certain birthday, I think it started at 16, but mm-hmm. with only two spots on your on your negotiation list, and sometimes the players that were put on the list didn't want to sign anything with the teams. They didn't want to sign an A form or a B. An A form was not as as uh, restrictive because it, it, it basically you agreed to go to training camp the next year, mm-hmm. and and then you know if you didn't sign, you were free. But a C form was the one form that the teams wanted the players. And you get you know you get a 16 year old player, and and the rules were different. If you if you had a chance to sign a, a, a C form with a with a team, you probably signed it. But what it really was it was a contract it had the salary depicted in the contract the time whatever the nhl team wanted you to turn pro that was your first year's contract so um c forms were probably the, the 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 one thing that players players didn't realize at the time but uh that was not the thing to do if you're a really good player but i think ted i don't know what kind of a form he signed but i know the next year uh, after his big year in junior, he went right to, to Detroit, the 44-45 season. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think he won the scoring in, four, I think it was 47-48. So he would only be 23 years old when he when he won that uh, scoring title, you know. And, uh, and, of course, we know what he did after that. And uh, it was a tragedy. He always told me, though, that, um, and he knew that I had grown up in Montreal. He knew I'd coached uh, in Montreal when I when I used to when I went to Detroit. I'd talk a lot with him, and he he was very bitter that Detroit started to dismantle their team. They they won the cup in 1954, and they won the cup in 1955. They had so many players coming out of their farm system. Like even one year, I think it was in 1954. 
they, they, uh, Tony Leswick scored the winning goal in the seventh game. And I was looking at his record the other day, and the next year he's in Chicago playing. <laughs> so they, they had, and same as Pete Babando. Pete Babando scored one of those seven uh, in 1950. He scored the winning goal in, in the second period of overtime in the seventh game for Detroit uh, to, to beat the Rangers for the Cup. And the next year he's, he's gone somewhere. So, you know, uh, they had so many players coming up. But uh, Ted, Ted really... Um, was really upset. Uh, he said the beginning of the end was when they traded. Uh, the Red Wings won the cup and traded Terry Stotchard to Boston, and and he was really upset. He said we. He felt they would. They had two or three more cups in their in their. Uh, if, they, if they hadn't made the moves they made, the Canadians won five in a row. He said they would have probably won three in a row because we would have won at least two more. They were that good because the team was young. Right. You know, I mean, mid-50s, they had the four cups. Uh, Ted was on the four of them. They won in 1950. The big team, had, well, they're all good teams, but the 52 team didn't lose a game. They won eight straight. They never, the other teams didn't score a goal on the, on the Red Wings in the four games at the Olympia. And then, and then they won again the two, the two seven, uh, the, they won the seventh game in 54 and the seventh game in 55. And then they broke up the team. And he was really upset, you know, and of course, they traded him in 57, but that was because of his, uh, his you know, his association with uh, trying to start a union, and which he started a player association. But yeah, Ted, Ted uh, he, he was very, right to his dying days, he was so upset that they broke up that, that team, you know. Well, I, you know, I, I know from, from my conversations with him over the years that he certainly thinks that, uh, you know, I, I used to joke with him and say that Jack Adams was the best and worst general manager in Red Wings history, and he would kind of laugh and say, you know, you're not too far off. He, he claims that the Red Wings should have never been broken up, as you said, Scotty, and that he is certain that they would be in second in most Stanley Cups ahead of Toronto, who's ahead of them by a couple. Detroit has 11. I think the Leafs have, I think it's 13 or 14, and Montreal has 24. So he, he, you're right. He, uh, you're absolutely right. He, you could, if you wanted to get a rise out of Ted, just mention uh, the Red Wings being broken up in the mid 50s, and uh, he would, uh, he would speak his mind about that. He was. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were young players, like. Gordy, Gordy came in a couple of years after after Ted, and, and I think around '47, uh, Ted came in in '45, and and uh, Ted was always a couple of years older than Gordy, and and you know we're talking now in the mid '50s, and and uh, and these players weren't even 30 years old. I mean, they were like Ted was probably 30, and Gordy was 28 or 27. <laughs> and then you, and then you had Alex Delvecchio, and you had Red Kelly, right? And you had Stachuk, and they were all in their 20s. So, like, this was not a team that was getting old and 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 uh, having to make moves. But uh, I I don't know. I I just uh, I think at that era, uh, the the Red Wings built up quite a farm system. There was a lot of players that were in their farm system that could never play in in the, in the, in the NHL. And and when you when you joined a team and you're in the farm system in the, in that in that era. There, there was no rules that if they, if you, if you weren't on, you didn't make the big team. You went automatically to the farm team, and you stayed there. And and I mean, if, so if you get with the wrong team, 
And I think that's what happened with Detroit. They had a lot of players in the minors that could have been NHL players, and 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 of course um, they would they would get if any player wanted too much money or if he was causing problems or any they would just replace him. You see, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what Ted said. He, he he was always a Red Wing. He didn't. He said when I went to Chicago, I, I, he admitted. He said I didn't have. I didn't have the gumption to really play. I, I had to go and play. I was still, you know, in my early 30s. And uh, he did help Chicago. Um, I talked many times with uh, Bobby Hull and Glenn Hall, and uh, they were just young guys coming in into their uh, form. And uh, they, 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 they gave a lot of credit to uh, Ted for the Cup in 61 because he, he said that he taught those young guys how to win. And they won the cup, you know. Well, they certainly did. Um, when he retired, and I know he went into business. I can remember growing up in Livonia, right there on uh, on Merriman Road. I always saw Lindsey Pavlich. It was uh, I, I'm yeah. not sure what type of business it was. It had a stamping plant or something. But uh, but then he also got involved in hockey. Um, while you were going through and in, in, in becoming the uh, you know the the coach that you were becoming with. Uh, uh, with 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 St. Louis and Montreal and uh, and then Buffalo, did you have much contact with Ted over those years, or was it when you came to Detroit you kind of uh, renewed your acquaintances with him? Yeah, well, no, I, I didn't know him at all. Uh, you know, I, I I what I do recall with Ted is when when I went to uh, Montreal after starting in St. Louis, Ted was uh, was on the uh, the national broadcast, like he was, he was a, a color man for the NHL. For I'm not sure if it was NBC or, or CBS. It was. I think it was NBC. <laughs> I think it was NBC, but it could have been CBS. You're right. I remember. I remember this. But when Ted, when Ted played with the Red Wings, uh, and it was the hey, it, it, when you really think about it, the auto, the automobile was the top uh, priority in the '50s, and those players. Uh, I know Ted and Gordy. And Marty Pavlich, and there was another player, another uh, person rather, who wasn't a player. They would they would work all summer, uh, and they they usually worked. Uh, originally, they worked for uh, automotive part companies because you know it's, uh, uh, the automobile industry was so big at the, it was right. the top top of the line. And they they worked all summer, and I think the four of them, uh, the three of them, and, a, and an outsider formed a, an automotive. They it was they were selling auto parts to to the big. Right. Ball. 
and he used to like to just sit there. And then, uh, I mean, he would be in, he'd be in the, well, that was the beginning of the uh, training room, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, used to, we used to have a little room off the Joe Lewis. And then we went to the training room in Troy, and then he became very friendly because he would work out, and he's now in his late 60s and early 70s, and he would work out, and there was a, a gentleman up there that was involved in the ownership and worked as a therapist, John Zarnecki, and I, I remember like it was yesterday, and John, John's youngest son, uh, Dominic, uh, was, was uh, an autistic boy that just started, and Ted took quite a, an interest in that, and uh, I mean, that's when it started. Mm-hmm. That's back probably in the 90s, early 90s, and Ted, as you know, his uh, his uh, fundraising for autism that became his lifelong uh, dream that he could help people and uh, even to this to, to, to the time he passed away he and John became the closest of friends you know yet mm-hmm. other friends but uh, he took a big interest and Dominic now I, I speak to, to John and, and Dominic Dominic's a wonderful young man now he's finished school and he's working and he's just I mean he could. He, looking back on what John uh, Zarnecki and his and his son and Ted, uh, the the bond they formed, and the, the money that was raised, and and, John, and Dominic is a, a great young man right now, uh, mainly because of his dad and Ted Lindsay. Well, you know what does it? You know, Scotty and I. You know, maybe it's a difficult question to answer, but what does it say about somebody like Ted Lindsay, where uh, you know he didn't know what autism was. He does nope. research on it, and then all of a yeah. sudden, he's going to found a foundation to not only help Dominic but to help children. I mean, it's it, it really is a testament to really who he really is. Yeah, I, I talked to his son uh, Ted when I went to the Red Kelly uh, Jersey retirement. Uh, Blake is is uh, I don't know uh, he he was born in the fifties, so and Blake Blake told me at the time uh, Ted was really struggling, uh, but, you know, with the loss of his wife uh, a couple mm-hmm. of years earlier, uh, he, he said, like, he just he just had, had, had lost everything that, you know, he, he was still involved, though, with, this was the, the one thing he wanted to do to his, to his last days, is to make sure that this uh, foundation would continue to go. So, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful thing for he, because, you know, he had stopped working at in 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 that in that era, like in mm-hmm. the '90s. He was working up to that time, mm-hmm. and that was his whole life. He he had a he was re, he was so regimented. He would go to the training room every day, mm-hmm. and of course we're pract- in the winter. We're practicing, and when we don't practice the Joe Lewis, we're practicing up there, and that's when he really uh, you know started doing this work for uh, for the foundation. Scotty, when you look uh, when you look at his, you know, uh, as great a player he was, he was even a better man. So many people have said that. Um, you know, certainly this week, uh, I know you knew him. I I knew him. Uh, uh, I'm kind of wondering uh, where do you think he ranks as far as? I mean, he's probably top of the line on competitiveness, and you know, and I'm not saying is he the greatest left winger of all time, but certainly, if he's one of the 100 greatest NHL players, that pretty much says all you need to know about him as a player. Well, if you're judging, I mean, I've seen a lot of. I didn't see all the players. I saw them since the 50s, so I, I saw like 70 years of NHL players. 
And uh, when I think of the different players in, in, in hockey, and there's, you know, you, 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 we know there's so many goalies now that it's hard to compare errors. But mm-hmm. when you look at left wing, when you look at left wingers uh, throughout the history of the NHL, and I've talked to a lot of people that, that played uh, and saw them play, uh, Howie Morenz is, is rated <laughs> the number one player of, of the uh, 20s and 30s. And then <clears throat> left wing. Mm-hmm. Then you move into the next era, it's Ted Lindsay, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, all through his work in the 40s and 50s. And then he was, as he, as he, as he uh, stopped playing, Bobby Hull was the next left winger that people talked about. And you know, when you think down through the era of left wings in the league, it, it's, a, it's a strange position because it's, it's not like, it, it's, you know, I could name you 15 centers. And you ask me which, which of those ones are, are like the Gretzkys, the Bellavos, the Makitas, you know, all mm-hmm. these top Delvecchios and all these guys and Iserman and, you know, it, it, there's so many centermen. It, it's hard. I mean, to slot them, it's impossible. But the left wingers, when you get past Bobby Hull, and then, and then you know, then you're looking at other players. I mean, you, you know, you, you're wondering who, who else is, is in that, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the scoring. Johnny Busick comes to mind from Boston. Luke mm-hmm. Robitaille, because of his you know prowess playing so long, and you know left wing is the position. And Ted Lindsay is right there with Morenz and Bobby Hull and Ted Lindsay. And I, I mean, I, if you ask me to, to go through all the list of, of other other uh, left wingers, it, it, you know, even my days in Montreal, I mean, I, I, I remember the Rocket. And I remember, I remember Boom Boom Jeffrey on and, and Guy Lafleur, and they're they're all right wingers, you know. Right, right. And on, on left wing, there was there was a few. <laughs> Dickie Moore was one, but there wasn't a lot of players that. Uh, so that's how Ted is. I mean, I, I would think, I would think that it would be hard to supplant if you were talking of the 20, 20 25 top players uh, of history. <laughs> Ted Lindsay's right there. So I mean, that's how. And I mean that's why I mean I've watched the last three nights now of of teams uh, Calgary uh, going into the U.S. Los Angeles they have these moments of silence and they have a, a great video of his career and boy you see you see the way um, I mean the, the pictures aren't as clear as they are today but you, if you see the the way that uh, uh, number seven and number nine of Detroit played. You know, they were looking at some play last night in uh, the game in uh, Vancouver. Uh, uh, Toronto made a, a certain play. Um, one of their defensemen threw the long pass off the boards, and this the new player, Mike Marner, came in. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, no, uh, I think it was Doug McLean showed it between periods. He's on a, on a television thing mm-hmm. in Canada. He, they showed a play that Ted Lin- uh, Gordie Howe and Ted Lindsay had a special play at the Olympia. Because of the way the boards were in the corners and that, mm-hmm. and ah, Gordy would shoot the puck from uh, way out from his own blue line, and Ted was streaming down the left wing, pick it off the backboards, and end up putting the puck in the net. So I mean, <laughs> something happened in the fifties, and now they're having it. They're, it's happening in the NHL right now. But it was a play they used. <laughs> so the, so he and he and Gordy were as good a tandem. You know, when you look at 
tandems throughout the league and you don't look at lines. Mm-hmm. I don't know a better tandem than those two. Wow. Scotty, uh, I would be remiss, as you know, Red Wing fans uh, are, are always interested. Uh, uh, how are you doing? In, uh, do you spend a lot of time in Florida? Are you watching games? Do you get to see, do you see a lot of Tampa games? Is, is that the team that you, that you see a lot of now, or, or what's been going on? I see all the Tampa Lightning games. I think I think I, uh, I've missed maybe maybe three or four because of scheduling. But I go to all their games. Uh, you know, they're on target to to uh, possibly. I mean, there's still what seventeen or fifteen games right. left. I don't know. But they're they're a team that's. Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to believe in a in a in an era of parity that this team has, has dominated uh, from the start of this season uh, to now. And, uh, I mean, there's still a little bit left in the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody can beat them except themselves. Right. You know, I mean, that, that's how it comes down to me. Uh, uh, this is a team that people know from Detroit, Steve Eiserman. He came there. I, I, um, I got a call in 2010 from uh, Jimmy Devolano, actually, saying, mm-hmm. That, you know, um, Jeff Vinnick, uh, the new owner of the Lightning, called and and uh, he, he wanted to know if, if he could talk to me. And I was with, at the time I was doing some consulting for Chicago. I had lunch with, with Mr. Vinnick in 2010 in the spring. And, and it was all about, he wanted to know if he could hire a, a, a present general manager who wasn't working or... He had his eyes on some people that were they were young, but they were they were they were doing a good job on the teams. And of course, the focus came. He wanted to know. You know he want, all he wanted to do was talk about Steve Eiserman. Mm-hmm. And he asked me at the time, "What do you what do you think?" You know. And I said, "Well, I said, uh, unfortunately, Steve. I, I said he'll never leave Detroit. You know. <laughs> I said I said he's like another son for the uh, Mike and Marion Ellich. I said he." You know, he came in as a young boy, and now he's he's, he's working with Ken Holland, who you can't work for somebody and learn the business better than that. And and I, I couldn't believe it. Like when he a couple of weeks later he, he hired Steve, and I didn't think. I mean, I I said, look, if you could ever get Steve to leave Detroit, but Steve has gone on to develop that whole team. I mean, it's amazing when you go and watch uh, the, the uh, Lightning play. And you look through the roster, and the, the players that they've picked up is amazing. In today's uh, NHL, players uh, that are that are, that are uh, top top players like Kucherov, uh, the other he's a, like a, a late second round pick. Uh, you got Braden Point right. drafted in the third round. I mean, they got free agents, but Steve is still in the background working with uh, the present manager. You know, it, it was tough for Steve to have to travel from Detroit and stay in Tampa. And it, it was a tough, I mean, I could I could see why he, he wanted to pull back a little bit, you know, with his family and that. But so he's got quite a connection. I, I see him quite a bit. He, he's very quiet and you know what he's like. <laughs> oh, and he's yeah. there, but, but he's developed that whole team and it's a great team to watch. But, you know, uh, we know from the playoffs, uh, the playoffs are different. And, uh, right. you know, people wonder who, who can beat them. Well, I don't know if anybody can beat them except if they get injuries or, you know, when you get in the playoffs. But I, I'm fortunate that I, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing history again 
by just going to the games, and uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I see Jimmy Davilano goes quite a bit. Danny Belial, who scouted when I was with the Red Wings, scouted mm-hmm. for us. He lives here too. So I, I spend a lot of time uh, bringing up uh, Danny to the games, and uh, it's been a good. Uh, I guess it keeps me busy, you know. Right. Well, you know that, and that that's good. I, I mean, you know, it's always good to be busy. I, I am kind of curious. When Steve was a player here in Detroit, and you were coaching him. Did I used to ask him, "What are you going to do after?" You know, I I think it was when 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 Wayne was coaching in uh, the Coyotes. I said, "Are you going to be a coach?" And he's, he and he flat out told me no, but he would like to build and run his own team. Did you see that as a player that he had that kind of? Uh, Acuum to, uh, if I use that word correctly, uh, to, 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 to be such a, uh, a great general manager and build a team? Well, what I saw with Steve is, is uh, when the games would start at 7.30 until 10 o'clock for the next two and a half hours, I've had so many players play for me. I've never seen a player that was just in his own for that long a time, and and they're observant. I mean, we would talk a little bit. About, I didn't have to talk very much about what I what I was seeing because he had that feel about him. There wasn't anything that went on in the NHL with other teams as a player would play and know the players on the other team. And I and I and I, I think that's what made him such a great player is the knowledge that he had of how he could get the job done on the ice. And it wasn't just, I mean, because he was not, as you know, Steve was not a big, big player. Mm-hmm. He was, he was. I mean, in an era where there was starting to be some pretty, pretty big size guys. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, he, he had a special way about him that he, he just knew what was going on in the, in, in the opposition. He knew his own team. Uh, we would bring in all kinds of players from other teams. I was always amazed that we would bring in Hall of Fame players that from other teams, like Chris Chelios, like Brendan Shanahan, and never an incident, never, um, like, it wasn't like we brought in, even some years when we weren't as successful, but players from other teams, you know, that we mm-hmm. would bring in uh, Brett Hull, Luke Robitaille, Wendell Clark, we brought in a lot of players. But, you know, he was always the captain. And some of these players were captains where they were, too. But it was a, it was a seamless transition. And, I mean, I think that's what he's got with this, uh, with this uh, Lightning team, is he's in the background. He's, he's done such a great job building that team. Because, you know, when, when uh, the owner took over the team, the big write-up in the paper here today, 2010, he, that's, so he's in his ninth season, and when he took over the team, they had just uh, just uh, finished drafting one and two in the league two years previous, and the team was in disarray when Jeff Fennick bought the team, because the, the, the Davidson family in Detroit had won the cup in, in 05-06, and, and uh, they were the ones that owned the Pistons at the time, mm-hmm. and they... They did not want to keep running the team, and they put it in the hands of uh, for a year or two, which they didn't want it anymore. And then Jeff Vinnick came along, and boy, you know, for a transformation of a team from 2010, where he bought the team, 
and the, and the, the constant was Steve Eiserman, and he also hired some people on the business side that knew how to run the business part of the. I mean, you go to the rink now here; it's packed every game. Uh, they've had some they've had some setbacks. I mean, you know, they they got to the finals in '15. They got to the conference finals last year in the seventh game. So this team is on the cusp. I mean, they have to do it in the playoffs. But uh, I would say right now, I mean, I, I'm not a betting man, but the, the odds must be so much in their favor. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, uh, Scotty, one final question. You've given us a lot of your time today, sure. and I certainly appreciate it. I am wondering, in those years when you were with the Red Wings and Ted's in the room, did he ever try to um, – give you any kind of tips or pointers or did he know that he was speaking to perhaps the greatest coach in professional sport history or was he kind of saying oh, maybe you should do this on the power player have you ever thought about putting this guy on the penalty kill anything like that no what he was was um you had to ask him a question you had to say to ted ted do you think that our team is big enough do you think it's fast enough um I don't know why we can't do this or we can't do that, and and then he would come up with an answer. Like, he, but he always pre, like he always sort of said, "Well, you know, you you know more than I would know. You're with the team all the time. Now, I I, I don't want to tell you what I would what what I believe, but this is what maybe he would never. He was very very careful of saying, "Why don't you do this?" <laughs> you know, he was always, he was always, but he knew, he knew, I mean, I know when we made the trade in 96, I think it was, when we traded um, uh, Keith Primo, it was a tough trade, because Keith didn't, couldn't come to agree, agreement with a contract, and the same thing with Sergei Fedorov, and when we made the trade in 96, and, and we... We got Brendan uh, Shanahan from from uh, uh, Carolina. He said, "You know, adding a player with ability that has that other ingredient, your team is pretty tough. But now you've got tougher. You know, mm-hmm. he always he, he he knew that. And and the same as when Sergey Fedorov, when he came back after uh, I guess it was in February when he when he resigned or when when the Red Wings actually matched the contract." He said, you know, there's no reason now that with this extra player back, he, he said, uh, I said, yeah, but is, I remember asking him, he said, you know, he's, I said, he's missed, he's missed from October to February. He said, it'll take him a month, Scotty, but he'll be, you watch him go from there. And a few people in Detroit know that I don't know if they would have won the 98 Cup. I mean, you never know. But Sergey's record in the playoffs in 98, put us over the top, same as, as as other players we've got in trades like Chris Chelios or, uh, you know, guys like Lidstrom, I mean, we're always there, but Ted, Ted was well aware of where we were, because he must have studied our team, I mean, that, that was his life, you know, and right. he said, I would never go anywhere after I came back from Chicago, he said, I got I got a Red Wing tattooed everywhere. <laughs> Scotty, I, I think on that note, we'll, we'll end this edition of uh, the Red and White Authority. Uh, I can't thank you enough, and you know, I don't know if I've ever, I've told people this, but um, I am very much indebted to you over the years, you've always treated me well, you've done a lot for me, and uh, and I, I really 
uh, cherish every time I can speak with you. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for everything that you've done for me during my career. And it's always great to visit with you. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Scotty. Yeah, thank you, Ted. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I'm glad to talk about Ted Art because, uh, you know, there's only, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tough in Detroit right now with the loss of Gordy and, and uh, Mike Yelich and Ted Lindsay. And, you know, they're, they're so iconic figures that the people in Detroit are, are got to be so proud that they, that they were associated with these people. Well, so thank you.